Grab your Bibles this morning. So many of you last week talked about how what the Word of God talked about in our message last week about spiritual warfare, how it was so impactful for you. Matter of fact, I had people say, I listened to that three times, or I had, I literally had my friends listen to that message. Um, this is what that says to me. A lot of times we don't understand or we just forget the fact that the devil's real and that he's really trying to do a number on you. That the devil wants to inhibit you. He wants to make you less than God intends for you to be. And so we're going to continue on with this theme. Matter of fact, I'm, going to, I'm adding a message. I did something I rarely do. I had the message for this week completely written and done. And I put it aside and I wrote a different message um, for today. Because I really think it's what God, what God wants for us. So we're going to start by going back to the verse we looked at last week. From Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read the same verses we read last week. Um, the first three of that section called the armor of God. 6, 10, 11, and 12. Chapter 6, verses 10, 11, and 12. This is what it says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. What we tried to do last week was put that in context of the whole book of Ephesians. Because I know a lot of times when people try to take a section of Scripture, like if I said to you, where's a section of the Bible on the armor of God? Most of you go say, Ephesians 6. You would know that you've read it, maybe you've heard sermon series on it, you've read a book about it, um, you've read it yourself. And you take that as just a as an individual part. And you don't look at it in the big picture. What we tried to do last week was put it in the big picture of the book of Ephesians. And as we did that, we kind of said, here's some statements that those verses talk about, um, some, some big ideas that they talk about. And we basically focused on, on three of them. And these were the three we focused on. Number one, um, that the devil is real. That he's not just... Um, personified evil, the way the world wants to say it. Well, there's good and there's bad, so the term for bad is a devil. No, the devil is real. He's a person in the sense, the same sense that you're a person or, or God is a person, meaning somebody with a personality, someone with a mind, emotions, and will, who has a will to do something. That's a devil. That's what the scriptures teach, that there is a real devil. Second thing we saw was that the devil has a scheme to destroy God's plan. That God has a plan for you and I. You were created to live in abundance. Sometimes we forget this. You were created to live in the presence of God, in the abundance of a garden. That's God's good will for us. That's what salvation is about. Helping us have us that restored and on earth because earth is corrupted by evil. Um, it's never going to really be completely um, restored. But what eternity is all about is the restoration back to that Eden-like existence. Well, the devil has a plan to sidetrack you and me primarily so that we'll never enter into the goodness of God now or for eternity. That's his plan. So it's a scheme, and we learned a scheme of the devil is revealed by his name. His name, the devil, God didn't just, the scripture doesn't say the devil, meaning, you know, uh, I couldn't come up with a name for him, so I named him Bob or the devil. No, devil defines what he does. 
Devil means slanderer or liar. And that the way that he affects you and me is that he lies to us. He, or he slanders other people to us or us to ourselves. So how did he attack Eve? He slandered God to Eve. He said, God, did God really do this? He misrepresented God. He lied. God doesn't really want you to live in fullness. And so Eve believed that and chose to follow the devil over God. He does the same thing to you and me. He uses his lying and slandering. The reason you have ideas about yourself. Oh, I'm ugly. Oh, I'm unworthy. Oh, I don't matter. Somebody came to me after church and they, they did something that was wonderful. After church, they said, can I pray for you? I said, great. They said, you preach on spiritual warfare. The devil's not going to be happy with you. Can I pray for you? And I said, thank you. And they told me later, they said, the second they got to their seat, a thought came in their mind. Who do you think you are to say, I'm going to go pray for the devil? And the person said, I get it. I get it. That was the enemy. I said, bingo. You got it. That was the liar saying to you, who do you think? Guess what? Who you are is you're a child of God, redeemed and filled with the Spirit. You have every right. You have every bit of authority to pray, every bit as much as me or anybody else with any ranking. Because God doesn't put ranking in the, in, the, in the church world. We do. But any ranking. And so that's, that's how it works. He lies. He schemes. He, he slanders. So that's how he does it. So that was the second point we looked at. And that was the bulk. Those two things were the, the bulk of our message last week. And then I just kind of ended by this statement that I said we're going to look at in the next coming weeks. We're going to kind of get to them in the next coming weeks. Was this. And that God's plan is for his church to win by his strength. Verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of your might. No, thank you. In the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. So it's God's plan for his church to win. And that's what the whole book of Ephesians has been doing. It's been painting a picture of what it looks like to be a winner. You know, a while back, was it Charlie Sheen who kept saying winning? You know, because his whole life was falling apart. But his kind of weird mind, he was saying, I'm winning. He's losing at everything. He's getting kicked off his shows, but I'm winning, you know. But here's the deal. Ephesians has painted a picture of what winning looks like. Picks a picture of, of the good and beautiful and wonderful and blessed life that God has for people in Christ. And God's saying, this is my plan for you. And if you go, if you, if you, if you walk in me, which is what spiritual warfare is really all about, walking in Christ, if you walk in me, you're going to see this unfolding and developing of this good and beautiful life. This side of eternity as well as the fulfillment in eternity. And the devil's not going to be able to distract you or get you off track um, from seeing that accomplished in your life. So I was just, going to, I was just planning on, on going on into, okay, now how do you live the good life? But I really felt compelled that I needed to add something here before we move on to how do we live in that, in that freedom. See, because Paul here is teaching the church, you and me, about living in spiritual freedom. How do I live it out? He is teaching how to live free and stay free in Christ. And he's going to go on to explain that our freedom is tied to how we live and what we believe and what we value, how we live in Christ. And he's going to say that's what the armor of God is all about. He's going to go on to explain how living free is all about living in such a way that the devil's schemes are rendered powerless against us. That's how victory comes. He says, I'm going to make you stand so you can stand firm against his assault. That you can stand and what he does against you is rendered impotent. And that's what we're going to be looking at in the coming weeks. But today I think we need to discuss another dimension of spiritual warfare. 
Because there's a dimension of that Paul doesn't mention here, but Scripture deals with over and over and over. And remember, that's why it's important to understand the whole counsel of God. Because like Paul is dealing with this specific thing about spiritual warfare here. He's saying, this is the good and beautiful life in God, Ephesians, but the devil doesn't want it to happen. But if you live in the freedom that I have, here's how you can live it out. And that's one dimension. But elsewhere in Scripture, it talks about other things pertaining to, to this kind of warfare, spiritual warfare, the attempt of the enemy to bind people um, that it deals with in other places. And so that's dealing with how to live free. But before we can talk about living free, I think we need to deal with this, about getting free. We've got to figure out about getting free before we can live free. See, Paul here is discussing how free people can stay free. But what about a person who is not free at all to start with? What if someone is not free? What if someone is living under the bondage of the devil's influence? And maybe they don't even know it, that that's what it is. They're not living under the protection of the armor of God. And therefore the devil has, and maybe had never have, maybe they never knew there was such a thing. You know, and therefore the devil has inroads into their lives. He has them living in somewhat spiritual restriction or spiritual bondage. How can that person get free so that they can then stand and live free? How can they get free so they can live free? Let's think about that. Let's first establish that the devil desires to cause people to live under his bondage. That that's the big picture for spiritual warfare. He wants people to live under his bondage by his rules, according to his, which will be limiting, which will be false thinking, all this stuff which he's trying to say, listen, I want you to live like I'm your God, live by my principles instead of you living by the God under his principles and his freedom. So before we look at any examples of this, how the devil wants to do this, let's remember something from last week. The devil hates God and anyone who loves God. So in his attempt to hurt God, he goes after God's people, trying to limit them, trying to hinder them, trying to destroy them, so, they can, so that he can hinder and destroy, ultimately, according to Ephesians, God's church. What's the reason for this? That's why people don't, you've got, you got to come back to the big picture of Ephesians. It's talking about the church, the corporateness of us all. Because the corporateness of us all, the church, what he's talking about, says that's the thing that's going to radiate the goodness and the glory of God. Remember what Ephesians 3 said then? So that the goodness and the glory of God will be seen by whom? All the heavenly host for all of eternity talking about the wonder of God. And so the devil is trying to hinder and destroy them, people, so that he can hinder and destroy indirectly through us the glory of God for all of eternity. So this isn't just about you and me. This is about God being glorified in all the earth. God being able to look at us and go, you know, the devil would say that not two people can be put in a room and get along for a period of time. But I'm saying I'll bring hundreds or thousands together and they will be people who care and they'll live in the glory of God and they'll take their Saturday when they could have done something else and they'll walk in a parade in the heat, pass out flyers to total strangers to say, 
Come so we can just bless you. Why? So that can be an inroad for them to say, maybe there's something to this God stuff. Why? So that God can then set them free and they can live out the glorious life that God intends for all people to live in. So this is a big picture. So the devil desires to hinder the development of people living in bondage and limitation and false thinking. And the Bible is full of examples of this. And I want us to think of and look at one of the most extreme examples of this found in all the Bible. Grab your Bible. Turn to Mark chapter 5. Pretty common story that we know of. Mark chapter 5 is the story that we call the, the Gadarene demoniac. It tells us about a man, and this is why I want to preface this by saying this, because you can just go, oh, Gadarene demoniac, you use that term like you use, oh, uh, you know, uh, Nazi Germany, meaning you just automatically, it's negative, it's difficult, and you dismiss it as unworthy, as bad, as negative. Whatever people group that is in your mind, that would be a twisting from the devil, a lie from the devil, that if I say a certain people group or a certain, a certain class of people, automatically there's a negativism with you tied to that. That is a lie from the devil. So the gathering demoniac is, we've got to understand who this guy is. He is someone, a man, made in the image of God. One whom Jesus loves so much that he stops everything else he is doing. He goes across the lake. I don't know how Jesus knew that guy was there, but Jesus did. Maybe it was reputation. Maybe it was stories. I don't know. Maybe it was just Jesus being fully man and fully God, empowered by the Holy Spirit. But he goes out of his way across a lake to find this guy. And this is a person that Jesus loves so much that he'd leave all the other people behind, go to, and he knew in his heart he was going to die in a very short time for the sins of that man. That's how Jesus looks at everybody and how Jesus looked at that man. That ought to make us change our opinion once in a while when we have a tendency in Christianity, especially longer in to get a little sense of, of spiritual aloofness and superiority or we get our certain things that we're all like, I'm so righteous because I live this way. Jesus says, I love all people across the lake and I'll set them free. So that's the guy. this is the guy when you read Gathering Demoniac. This is the guy. It's a guy that Jesus loves so much, like everybody else, that he would leave the masses, cross the thing, go to the tombs, and minister to a man who lives there in total lostness. That's who we're dealing with here. This man under the extreme demonic bondage of the enemy. Let's read what it says happens in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. And in a long section, but I want to read the whole story. It says, They came to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gerasenes, when he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs was with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken into pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains, gnashing, gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. 
And he was asking him, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly to send him out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. And the demons implored him, saying, send us into the swine so we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission, and coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. And their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had been the legion, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to implore him to leave their region, which I think is the most crazy statement in the entire thing. Verse 18. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him, but he said to him, Go home to your people. And report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how He has had mercy on you. And He went away and became, began to de- proclaim in the Decapolis, which means the ten cities, what great things Jesus had done for Him. And everyone was amazed. Now, if you can read that story and not be amazed, I'm not sure how that's possible. Now, there's all kinds of things that are going on here. But this is what I want us to focus on. This man was literally inhabited by a legion of demons. Nobody could help him. No one was able to set him free. In fact, they had done just the, tried to do just the opposite. They had tried to chain him up to keep him from hurting himself and others, but nothing worked. But then along comes Jesus. And with a word, He simply causes the demons to flee and go into a herd of pigs and the pigs rush down the hill and are drowned in the sea. What do we see here? Jesus, in His supreme authority. Remember Jesus says His last words to His disciples. All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Jesus has all authority. Remember, this is not, we talked last week, this is not a battle between equal opposing foes. God is the creator. God is supreme. He's only letting Satan, who him and his demons are, best as we can understand, created beings from God who chose to rebel against God. He's only letting them run their course for a while to accomplish somehow his eternal ultimate plan. So Jesus, in his supreme authority, told them to leave. And guess what? They had no choice. They left. Jesus sets the man free. Here's the point. So that he could then begin to live in freedom. And isn't that what we see in the story? It's why we read the whole story. After he was set free, how do we find him? We find him clothed and in his right mind and sitting in peace. And he wants to follow Jesus. He's like, take me with you. Interesting, Jesus says, no, I want you to go tell people how God has had mercy on you. Now, Jesus set him free so that he could then live free. Now, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians would then instruct him to live free by putting on the whole armor of God. There's two parts here. 
Jesus sets him free so that he could live free. But in Ephesians, Paul would tell that man who's been set free, now listen, here's my instructions on how you can live in freedom. And here's the point. Before he could live free, he had to be set free. Now maybe this guy had lived in ways that opened him up to demonic activity. I don't know. It doesn't say. Maybe he welcomed demonic influence into his life. It doesn't say that. Or maybe he simply believed the devil's lies that he had heard from family and friends and who knows how else from the time he was born and those lies led him into such darkness because he didn't know any better. I don't know. No matter how he got to the point he was, the reality is he was in bondage. He was chained. He was literally spiritually chained. Not physically, they couldn't even do that, but spiritually in bondage. And only Jesus could set him free. Now realize this, church. Part of coming to Jesus as Savior and Lord is inviting Him to set us free from the devil's influence. Part of living for Jesus and coming to Jesus as Savior and Lord, which is not just about an event, but it's about an event and a process. Part of coming to Jesus as Savior and Lord is welcoming Him, inviting Him, asking Him to set us free from the devil's influence, to expose the lies that we believe, to break the addictions to sin that we have. That's part of the process. It's part of the experience in coming to Christ, inviting Jesus to set us free. Jesus as Savior is the one who sets us free. Now, none of us is in a situation like that man with a gathering demoniac was. But the devil has and does influence people and we must look to Jesus for his freedom. We must ask Him to set us free so that we can then continue to live in the freedom that He offers. Free from lies, free from strongholds, free from deception. We must ask Jesus to set us free in Himself. Now let me tell you a real life, not Bible, beautiful story of how this works. How it has worked. Again, A very extreme example. I'm trying to use extreme examples. We're going to use a less extreme example in a minute. But a very extreme example to try to show the reality, the bigness of what this is all about. Years ago, Suzanne and I were pastoring in another state. And a family began to attend our church. It was a dad and a mom and four kids, right? Four. Matter of fact, did something I don't think I've ever done since. I stopped the service that very first day they were there, didn't even know because two of the boys were screwing around the seat and I showed you an altar call. I stopped the service and I said, if you young men don't want to be here, why don't you leave right now? That was really visitor friendly. <laughs> why don't you get up and leave right now because we're trying to do something serious here. They said, I'll never go back to that church again in my life. Man, they're still there to this day. So this family came into the church and they were part of a group of another group of people who um, had kind of all come in at the same time. There had been another church in the area and that had had some problems and a few families filtered our way. Matter of fact, that church and our church all came to our church at one time. So we're going to join a church and I told them, you're all not welcome. I said, you all go back to your church. It's not God's plan to ruin your churches to build this church. 
But these people, they legitimately, I think we kind of said they were supposed to be there. They came into the church as a small group. And the mom had a lot of problems. I mean, a lot of problems. Matter of fact, the biggest problem she had is, according to the counselor she was in, she suffered from multiple personality disorder. And so, if you've never met, I've met with a few people that have MPD. And it is bizarre. I don't mean that be funny. It's bizarre. We'd be sitting, first time we met them, we go to their house, they invite us for dinner, we go over there, and all of a sudden, she's sitting at the table, all of a sudden she turns into some little, I shouldn't say it, some little boy's name. And she starts shooting a rubber band gun at you with her finger. Bing, 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 bing. And all of a sudden, five minutes later, she turns into somebody else, different personality completely, different mannerisms and voice, and she's somebody else. And she functions the way. She's a mom with four kids. A husband. Been this way forever, for years. So we began to try to minister to this family. And it was a long-term deal. Ministering, trying to get to know them. And what I find out at first is this little group of people with her, she's kind of the, she had become kind of the, the um, focal point of a group of really great, strong Christian people who would like to do almost every day suicide watch with her. They'd all change her plans. She was always cutting herself. And uh, then she claimed she had been a victim of satanic ritual abuse for years, and that was a big thing. Everybody talked about it, you know, 25 years ago. And she said she'd had all this a ritual abuse done to her, buried and urinated on and all this weird stuff. And, and uh, so we're trying to figure out, how do we deal with this? How do we, we pray? How do we, what do we do? And so we're trying to minister to them. And, uh, and along the process, at one point, I just felt the Lord say to me, you tell that whole group of people, stop letting her destroy what God wants to do through all of you. She's trying to become the vortex, sucking everybody in. And you all got, God's got plans for all your lives. So I said, stop the suicide watches. Stop all this. We can't do it. I said, I'm telling you, God told me, stop it. I said, has she ever really hurt herself? Well, she's all cut up. Has she ever really hurt herself? Well, not serious. Stop it. They stopped it. She stopped being the center of everybody's attention. Then she... uh, the satanic ritual abuse. And I'm trying to figure this out, so I'm researching it. How is it possible that this lady in, in this state can say these exact things happened to her, she's never talked to anybody, and that somebody in the state of California would say the exact same things, these things happened to me. And somebody in the state of New York would say the exact same things happened to me. And people are, the police are involved in, in all across the world in this country in this time trying to figure out there's supposed to be these satanic cults doing all this stuff and they're saying, how is this all possible? And I'm going, God, it has to be real. Because she knows this stuff. She's saying the exact same things they say happened over there and we investigate with all of her family and they're like, it's never happened. None of it. None of it's happened. And I'm praying and the Lord speaks to me and says she's believing a, lot, believing a lying spirit. There's a lying spirit telling her, convincing her. She's very broken. And she's believing all this stuff happened to her. That's this lying spirit. And so I'm listening. So I start ministering to her. Listen, you are listening to a lie. This didn't happen to you. All the evidence says it didn't happen to you. Other pastors who tried to minister to this lady for years said, listen, we've investigated it all. None of it happened. But she believed it. So we're trying to minister to this. And she's a mom with four kids, raising four kids. Showing up at church every week. You're wondering which person is going to sit in the pew. When she, what's she going to do to disrupt the service? And so, this is going on. So, back then we used to do a, an annual church camp out. And we'd, be, we'd shut the church down and the whole church would go camping. 
and uh, rent a whole section of a, of a state park and have a big church camp out. And so there's a bonfire at night. And all these things, would, certain things would always trigger her and set her off. And so there's a bonfire at night. And she somehow, something happened that, that made her uncomfortable. And she did what she would do often. She got up and she left. She went away and she sat behind her camper. And Suzanne saw it. Suzanne got up and followed her back behind the camper and said, what's wrong? And she started talking about how she was uncomfortable, what was going on. And, you know, she often didn't know what was going on, but she's just like, you know, I'm, I'm feeling uncomfortable. So Suzanne's sitting there and talking to her. And Suzanne's trying to minister life into her. She's quoting scripture to her. She's telling her this is the truth about God. And, you know, they're just sitting off by themselves. I don't know what's going on. Didn't even pay attention. Lady left. Suzanne left. I'm like, well, that's pretty normal. And Suzanne's just trying to speak life into her. And Suzanne asks her, says, do you believe Jesus loves you and that you belong to him? Do you believe that? And all of a sudden this voice comes out of this lady. And it says, she's mine. And Suzanne, the funny thing is, because, I mean, you were young. You were young. We started planting that church. You were 20, 19 or 20. So you were probably 21, 22 years old. And you're up by yourself in the campgrounds, in the dark. <laughs> and Suzanne said, I wasn't the slightest bit afraid. Just the presence of God. And his voice comes out and says, she's mine. And Suzanne just starts speaking truth to her and says, do you want to live like this? And the voice, she's mine. Do you want to serve Jesus? Yes. Voice, she's mine. And Suzanne just says, you know what? I want to pray for you. Let's pray together. And Suzanne begins to pray for the lady. Not screaming, yelling, no one's falling on the floor, there's no lightning flashing. Suzanne just prays for her. We don't even know what's happening and it's right over there. Suzanne just prays for her. And then she says, and I want you to pray for yourself. I want you to ask Jesus to set you free. I want you to say, Jesus, I welcome you. And, she, and this, lady, this lady had said, for years I walk with Jesus. I have no idea how that works. What I know is, she said to her, do you want Jesus in your life completely? You want to surrender it all? You want to be set free? And the lady says, yes. And it just is over. And Suzanne said, it's peace. And the lady says, what happened? And Suzanne said, well, I think you were just, you just were set free from some control of the devil. Now here's the deal. We never made a big deal out of it. We never told her husband Suzanne told me, I never told another soul in the world. We weren't trying to hide it. We're just like, okay, this is life as usual. Ministered to her. She still stays in the church. We just visited this lady a few weeks ago. This lady runs her own business. Husband and kids are doing great. She's as, as solid and normal and wonderful and kind, and all she talks about is Jesus all the time. Matter of fact, of anybody I know, I don't know anybody. I feel guilty when I'm around her and her husband because, right, it's always Jesus, 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 Jesus. And I'm like, I'm talking about fishing right now. You know? And you're talking about Jesus. You know? And I know I should be thinking about Jesus, but I'm really thinking about fishing. Set free. Here's the point. She needed to be set free before she could live a life of freedom. 
Now, I know that that's another extreme case. And a lot of you right now are going in mind, oh, you're trying to say a Christian demon-possessed? That's not what I'm saying at all. I think the problem is when people try to write books and split hairs and say there's oppression, there's, there's possession. I don't think that matters. As a matter of fact, in the, in the terminology and original language, it almost always just means demonized. It just means you're influenced by the devil in some capacity. And what we see from Scripture, it can be really extreme or it can be what we could say is really minor but the minorness of it is to keep you from becoming what you're supposed to become. Basically, you believe lies that aren't true that limit you into living out what God has for your life. So another extreme case, but it makes the point. The devil has lied to people and bound people their whole lives, but Jesus can break those chains and set people free. The need to find spiritual freedom is it always as dramatic as this situation? And I want you to think about a situation that isn't nearly as dramatic. And then when you say, I relate to this one a little better, think about Peter one day when Jesus was telling him about his future suffering. Grab your Bible, flip over to Matthew chapter 16. The same essence of what's going on, just not nearly as dramatic of a situation. Not, the control's not nearly as, as much. But the influence, the thing we're looking at is the enemy influences people. Matthew 16, verses 21 to 23. From that time, this is the very end of Jesus' life. So this is the end of Jesus' encountering and life with Peter. Peter had walked with him by this time for over three years, seen miracles, heard sermons, prayed for sick people. Peter had cast demons out of people, he had healed the sick. Alongside Jesus. Jesus had sent him out in a group of 12 and they'd seen all this amazing stuff happen. Now we're here near the end of Jesus' life. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised upon the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I said the other statement was the most amazing statement ever. No, this one is. He began to rebuke Jesus, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. Now understand something in Scripture. Jesus... Scripture doesn't waste words. Jesus picked his words for Peter on purpose. Get behind me. He didn't say, get behind me, troublemaker. He didn't say, get behind me, uh, whatever, fool. He said, get behind me, Satan. Jesus understood that Peter was believing a lie from the enemy. A lie that a lot of people that day believed that Jesus would rise to political power and overthrow Roman oppression. That's what he believed about Jesus. That's why he got on board. He's going to be a reformer. He's going to set them all free. He's going to conquer Rome. But that was not God's plan at all. Jesus had tried to reveal it, but the guys around him just couldn't understand it. God's plan was for Jesus to die for the sins of all humanity, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world 
And to then rise from the dead three days later to be the Savior and Deliverer of the world. That's Jesus's. That was God's plan. So Jesus strikes to the heart of the matter with Peter. He says, Peter, you're in bondage. You believe a lie of Satan. And that bondage must be broken for you to live in the abundance of freedom and advance in freedom the way I have for you. Because God, Jesus knew he was someday going to be the main head of the church. He's saying there's a lie you believe. And it's a lie from the enemy. And I need to confront it so you can get free from it, Peter. You believe a lie. So Jesus did something that some of us believe Jesus would never do. He rebukes them. Remember, you just think Jesus is the lamb-carrying Savior of the world who pets lambs all day? He put the lamb down for a second here. And he said, Peter... You're believing a lie from Satan. Get behind me. He's trying to warn Peter. You're never going to become what you're supposed to become as long as you're bound by a lie that you believe. You need to embrace the truth. God has a plan and the plan includes me dying and rising from the dead. So Jesus rebukes him. It doesn't tell what happens, but we can infer very easily that obviously Peter repented, which means change of your mind and change of action and direction. He changed it. And he looks to Jesus for help because Peter becomes one of the great leaders of the church who preaches about the death and resurrection of Jesus. He got it. But here's the point. Even Peter needed to be set free so that he could live in freedom. Jesus needed, Peter needed to be set free so that he could live in in freedom, and here is the point I want you to get today. It's this. We need both power encounter and process. We need both power encounter and process in this life of freedom that God desires for His children. The devil establishes strongholds in people's lives. They can be extreme as possession or as common as believing lies that keep us out of sync with the plan of God, as extreme or from one end of the spectrum to the other. These strongholds need to be broken by Jesus, surrendered to Jesus and broken by Jesus. We need to bring them before Jesus and ask Him to set us free when we are made aware of them. That's the power encounter. Jesus overcoming the work of the devil, of believing a lie or being held in bondage by the enemy. But we also need process. That's the ongoing, long-term work of discipleship. That's the taking up the armor of God in order to keep living in freedom. It's the commitment to the triangle of change is what it is. It is understanding that, Peter, I have to have my narratives reworked. The things I believe need to be reworked so that I line up with what God believes The bondage that Peter had was his narrative was wrong about the work of God. He needed the the triangle of change. He needed his narratives reworked. He needed to open himself up to the ever-present reality of the Holy Spirit through spiritual exercises that calmed him down, slowed him down in order to hear from God, that opened him up to the ever-presence ministering power of the Holy Spirit that most of us miss all the time because we're so obsessed with busyness that we never sit long enough to allow God access into our hearts. And then we do it with a group of people. A group of people who are on the same path, who can encourage us and challenge us and at times rebuke us. 
And it's all, what? Empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's all about process. We need both. We need the power encounter and we need the process to live the spiritually free lives that God wants us to live. Listen, friends. There's a reason that Jesus developed His church, that He calls His body, that He's the head of. Part of the reason is so that people could have access to both of these. The process. You can't create that process in your living room. I don't care how good you are. You can't create that process in your living room. You can't. But you also need the encounter. And God has brought His church together for strength, for the encounter. As a church, we're all about process around here. We have many opportunities for you to engage in the process of spiritual growth. Here's the deal. The only limitation is your willingness to be involved. When it comes to the process, the only limitation in your life is your willingness to choose best over something else. I honestly believe that. But we're also all about power encounter. We know that God has commissioned His church to bring people before Jesus in prayer so that they can be set free from the bondage of the evil one. Friends, that's the commission He gave to His disciples when He sent them out by 12 and then He sent them out by 72. What did He tell them? Preach the kingdom, heal the sick, and set people free. He said, that's my commission to my church. Free from believing His lies, free from living by His limitations, free from His control. Now here's the deal. Is it a one-time deal? No. It's why it's encounter and process, encounter and process, encounter and process. I pray this prayer all the time. I say, God, understand this. I say, God, I only understand what I understand. You go, what? I only understand, God, what I understand. Everything I know has been filtered through this grid work called my previous life and my experience and my exposure to other people's teaching. And God, that's all I understand. And if I'm not understanding right, you've got to, you've got to show me. You've got to break that thing loose. You've got to, you've got to set me free from the lie because often I'm like Peter. I say, no way, God. Get, you know, that ain't going to happen that way. We're doing it this way. I know. But what I know is wrong. And I need to have that exposed. And I need to take it to Jesus and He'll set me free from it. So that I can continue to live in freedom. I can then put on the full armor of God and stand against the onslaught of the devil. So I need both. I need power encounter. Ongoing. And I need process. Ongoing. To continue to develop. Now if Peter would have had the situation, this happened to Peter... The first day he walked with Jesus, you go, oh no, it's all about getting born again. It's all about just the the first day I came to Jesus and Jesus set me free and it's all done. That ain't true. He walked with Jesus for years before that happened. That's why I say it's it's a mistake to try to say, differentiate, oh, it's possession, oh, it's lie. Here's what I'm saying is, the big picture is the devil wants to hold us in bondage and Jesus wants to set us free. And we get to participate in the process of having it happen. We come to Him and we ask, God, expose the things I believe that are wrong. I give them to you. doesn't have to be dramatic. It doesn't say that Peter fell on the floor and barked like a dog and foamed at the mouth. He didn't do any of that. He probably started crying. He probably went, oh, forgive me, Jesus. Help me to see differently. And Jesus said, okay. 
This is what's going to happen. That's what He does for us. So it's not always some big dramatic thing. Matter of fact, in all the Scriptures, only a couple of big dramatic things. In all of our 26 years of ministry, three times that I can think of, that happened. Twice with Suzanne, once with Suzanne, twice with me. Where all of a sudden voices come out of people. You're like, woo, this is a little different. It's usually not that. Scripture says it's possible, but in all of our thousands of people we've ministered to, a couple of situations. Most of them are we believe lies or his strongholds. They've got to be identified. Not, it's not for me to identify them to you, although that could happen. Jesus identified it to Peter, but it's for Jesus to identify it to you. Sometimes you use the church. That's part of the process. See how they're interlinked? The process often reveals the problem that we have to take to Jesus to get free so we continue in the process. That makes sense? So, we're going to end today. I tried to be really, really short today. My wife's laughing at me. I said I wrote a really short sermon. So we have tons of time, and we still have tons of time, to, to pray together that what I want us to do today, I'm going to end our time by, by praying a prayer, I'm going to say that, a prayer of freedom over our church. And when I'm done, I'm going to encourage you to just come before Jesus and ask Him to set you free in any area where there may be a stronghold. Just say, God, is there, is, am I like Peter and I believe a lie about something? You know, the kind of lie, like I like told earlier, of a situation of a person saying, can I pray for you? They go back to their chair and the devil whispers in their ear and says, who do you think you are to pray? That's a lie. Fortunately, that person identified it immediately. It was a lie. They identified it. They go, oh, shut up, Satan. I tell the devil to shut up all the time. I really don't want to shut up. You're not supposed to say shut up. Tell the kids, don't say shut up. You can tell the devil to shut up. Parents, sorry. You're all mad at me now. <laughs> Only the devil. Um, then, when you just spend some time with the Lord, the worship team's going to come, they're going to play. I said, play some songs about freedom. <laughs> Whatever they are. Then, when you spend some time with the Lord, I'd like you to... If you want, if you want at all, you can come forward and I'll be here and I'll pray with you. I think, Suzanne, you're going to be up here with me. We're going to pray with people. If you, if you want, you say, you know what? There is something I want you to pray with me about finding freedom in Christ. You feel, when you feel done, doors are open. Have an awesome day. Enjoy Jesus' freedom today. But if you want to pray, we want to pray with you today. So would you stand with me this morning? Let's pray together. Jesus, you are the God of freedom. You are the God of, that loves us so much that you would cross a river, a lake rather, a sea, to get to one man that the whole society is set aside. They tried to help in their limited abilities but they couldn't do anything and so they banished him with the dead people in the stinking, rotting tombs. And he lived there in torment until you said you're so valuable that you left everybody, all the rich, all the famous, all the influential aside, you left them all behind and you went to the one person that nobody cared about. 
and you set them free. And with a with a, a vo- with, with just the touch of your hand and the sound of your voice, the enemy left. And Lord, right now, we understand something. We live in this same world that that man lived in, the same world that Peter lived in, a world where our enemy is real. And He influences us. Lord, I know He does. He influences us through media. He influences us through the lives we've lived. He influences us through the hurts that have been done to us. We believe lies. We're held in bondage. We're held limited. But You came to set the captive free. And this morning, Lord, no matter what the captivity is, no matter if it's a lie I believe or it's a literal bondage of a, of a life-controlling issue, there's a, a hidden sin that's controlling my life or a hidden fear, a fear, an anxiety, an issue that's holding my life and I need to get free of it. That today, Lord, we know it is for freedom that we've been set free. That where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That you prayed for your church to lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. You are the power. And Lord, right now we pray this. For any person who says... There's a stronghold in my life and I want to be free. That right now as they acknowledge that to you, that you would set them free, as free as that man by the sea, as free as Peter when he, re- when he re- repented, changed his mind. It wasn't about saying he did something wrong. He misunderstood and he changed his thinking. So, Lord, today we pray, Holy Spirit, in all of your strength and all of your power, right now as we surrender our brokenness to you, we surrender our fears to you, we surrender the false beliefs to you, the lies that the enemy has ground into our soul. We pray, break those and set us free. Set us free, God, for your glory.